Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andreas Show here on Wednesday, February 12th. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a good show lined up for the day in a little bit. I'll be joined by the president of Research Co. to talk about a few surveys that have recently been published. And to kick off the back half of the show, I'll be joined by the city of Kamloops' engineering manager, Devin Matkowski, to talk about some proposed expansions to the city's transit, as well as that new extension to the Peterson Creek multi-use path in Upper Zahali to connect the Hucktum Trail, uh, which is set to be built this summer for about two million bucks and then to end things off it is time for another edition of that's whack wednesday but to begin today's show of course i am joined in studio by the mayor of kamloops mr ken christian ken thanks so much for coming in my pleasure all right so let's not waste any time here another council meeting yesterday a number of items were up for discussion and, and one of the more interesting pieces in terms of uh, you know what was talked about yesterday i think was the citizen satisfaction survey uh first and foremost i just wanted to ask how important of a tool this is uh for you when looking to make some decisions for the city well it, it's a very important tool and and what we try to do is once during every electoral cycle every four years to uh, test the uh, mood of the public and uh, you know the uh, firm that did it this one uh, had a confidence interval of 95 percent so 19 times out of 20 the answers that they got are going to be correct and there was some some good news in that. Uh, two things stood out for me. One was that uh, if you look at the uh, survey longitudinally, uh, it is getting better every time we do it. So uh, that would indicate that we're at least getting better or improving on the kinds of services that we're giving. But the other thing was that they had uh, checked us against uh, four other like-sized communities, and most notably Prince George and Kelowna, and we're faring better than they are in terms of uh, what the citizens are saying about the uh, civic expenditures and the quality of infrastructure and livability of those cities. So, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I don't think that it's, it's necessarily the only tool, but just like uh, a good performance review, you, you like to hear what you're doing well and you like to also hear what you need to improve on. And, uh, you know, there was certainly some uh, overtones uh, in the survey uh, about congestion might have been a, a function of the timing relative to mm -hmm. the West Vic project. And also a, a concern uh, about homelessness and crime in our community and and that's uh, evident in in just confirm some of the discussions I've had with constituents in my office was there anything in there that that surprised you that uh, you know people maybe were hoping uh, would improve a little bit more than it has over that last uh, time period between surveys I mean uh, when you're talking traffic congestion like you mentioned the West Vic seemed to probably be a, a big reason behind that one but just road conditions in general I mean I've seen these surveys in a few different communities road conditions is always seems to be the one area that everyone wants to see improvements in um, just was there anything in here that that stood out to you or surprised you well you know uh, we've talked about it before Jeff that you know it's almost you, you could tell by the phone calls in my office what the season is, whether you're getting pothole complaints or mm -hmm. sweeping complaints or snow complaints. But, uh, you know, that uh, is really now starting to be overshadowed uh, to some degree by people looking for investment in alternative transportation modes. So people are choosing to walk, people are choosing to ride transit, uh, take bikes, those kinds of things. And they're noting uh, that the infrastructure or the schedule or, or things like that are not 
not uh, really to their liking and they're starting to uh, be more vocal about that. So I think that reflects uh, the impact that Thompson Rivers University is having on our community and the number of students that come here, uh, as well as the fact that we are starting to see an influx of uh, more urbanites into Kamloops uh, that expect services that they had from whence they came. Uh, and, and since you brought up uh, um, alternate transportation and, and active transportation, there was also a, an item yesterday looking at uh, extension to the Peterson Creek multi-use trail. Uh, $2 million project extending the trail on Summit Drive from White Shield Crescent uh, up towards Notre Dame Drive. I guess just uh, initial thoughts on this project. I mean, it's sort of a, a smaller stretch for, uh, um, you know, just the, when comparing the trail you know, overall to this little piece that's going to be expanded. It's pretty small, but there's a lot of infrastructure that's going to be involved in this when we're looking at uh, crosswalks and things like that from what I've uh, seen in the report. So, um, I mean, just talking about the importance of extending these trails and making sure there is some alternate ways for people to get around that isn't the, the road itself. I mean, just, uh, you know, how important are these types of projects to the city first and foremost? Well, uh, they're very important, and, and I think it reflected, uh, you know, what we spoke about earlier in terms of the citizen satisfaction survey. But what I understand of good trail networks is that they have to connect people from where they live or where they go to school to where they want to be, right? So uh, by extending the Hockdom Trail into the Upper Sahali area, you are making uh, that much more accessible to all of those residences uh, rather than having it terminate at a, at a busy intersection. So, you know, it's a, it's a complicated project uh, and uh, that uh, there was an opportunity to see uh, at least uh, half a million dollars in grants. So we made the uh, decision to apply for those. And if we're successful, we'd be building that extension with 75 cent dollars and I think that's uh, good business for the city of Kamloops and you know uh, there are a lot of other trails and a lot of other trail networks we need to complete but we have uh, a 15 year and a very ambitious 15 year plan to kind of get there and that includes everything from sidewalks in Brocklehurst and Barnhartvale to uh, you know uh, enhancements to the Rivers Trail and, and uh, issues in and around the pedestrian uh, access to Thompson River University. Um, how critical is it just from a, you mentioned that a number of trail networks that are um, you know in the planning stages a 15-year plan um, so a pretty extensive plan that looks at just how people are going about go about getting around the city and, and getting out of their cars and hopefully finding other modes of transportation um, I mean how critical is that when looking at just you know city planning as a whole um, you know talking about you know transportation plans and downtown transportation strategies and parking strategies I mean the, these trail networks have to be a, a huge piece for the city just just because we're looking 15 years down the road and, and the way we get around might be a lot different. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know when I travel, uh, w the biggest thing you do is walk, right? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so uh, then you come home and you jump back in your pickup truck. And and I think what uh, we want and what we hear from the cities, uh, from the citizens of the city, is to uh, make uh, Camelops more pedestrian friendly uh, and uh, encourage people to walk. That does two things. One is that it reduces the greenhouse gas uh, emissions that the city collectively is going to produce. But most importantly, it makes your citizens healthier, and and that's what we're really looking for. And uh, you know, in order to do that, you need some infrastructure so that those sidewalks and uh, curb cuts and and uh, pedestrian overpasses and things like that are safe. So we need to uh, commit to that, and, and we're not giving up on on vehicles. Uh, but uh, we are going to do this in in addition to uh, the transportation network that we already maintain.
Perfect. And uh, I'll move on to one more item here. Uh, the CAM plan, the city's official plan, was discussed uh, for quite a bit of time yesterday. Um, um, can I just get you to kind of run down what exactly was discussed, if you can kind of wrap it up for me a little bit, because it was a pretty lengthy discussion. Yeah, it, it was, and, and uh, I think that was because it was the first time we've seen an indicators report. So, uh, you know, turning the, the pages back, uh, we uh, redid our CAM plan, and uh, we approved that uh, in 2019, and uh, this is the first full year we've had to kind of uh, look at how we're doing against that new uh, official community plan and so there were a number of indicators that uh, staff uh, used to bring forward to council to uh, give us a little sort of pulse check in terms of how we're doing with that so there was uh, a lot of discussion as you noted uh, because councillors have different areas of interest within that plan so they were canvassing their uh, area of particular concern and uh, the area that they might serve on a committee that is related to a particular concern. So uh, it was a good discussion. I think what we need to do is commit to uh, this over a longer period of time. And, and if I learned anything in my 18 years as a school trustee, you, you don't take a snapshot of student results. You look at the uh, growth in, in student performance. And the same is true in the city of Calms. We uh, need to look at ridership on transit over a longer period of time. We need to look at uh, crime statistics uh, over a longer period of time so that we uh, can make the changes that might be necessary or we can uh, continue to improve those statistics as we move along. Uh, I guess just uh, overall opinion of, of the report itself. I mean, happy with sort of the, the progress that's being made here. I mean, I know it's uh, kind of early in the process, but uh, just, just happy with what you're seeing so far. Well, I have uh, two opinions. One is that uh, Jeff Locke, who was the author and architect of CAM plan, uh, has uh, stuck by the project and has produced a really good report uh, and, and a very fulsome and thorough report that's available on our website. Uh, the second thing I was uh, happy about was the actual results. Uh, it uh, kind of mirrored what we heard from the Citizen Satisfaction Survey that we're doing okay in this town and, uh, you know, the livability is going up. Uh, there's still concerns about uh, crime and safety and affordability, uh, but uh, we're moving in the right direction on all of those fronts. Awesome. Anything else you want to add, Ken, while I have you in here? No, it's a great opportunity to catch up on yesterday. It was a long day. We were in session from about 9 yesterday morning till 10.30 last night. Well, you got a, a week off here with uh, Family Day coming up and then uh, budget time, right? So it's going to be, uh, I'm sure, another lengthy one here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and uh, I have to, I confessed to Donnie Moores yesterday that uh, I won't be watching the Blazers this weekend because I'm going to go watch the Canucks on Sunday afternoon. Ooh, well, nothing wrong with that. Uh, go Canucks, go, right? Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming in, Ken. Appreciate your time. That was the uh, mayor of Kamloops, Ken Christian. Coming up after the break, I'm going to be talking with the president of Research Co. We're going to get into a few different surveys that he has recently conducted. We'll be talking with Mario Canseco after this. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the show here on Wednesday. We are living in, of course, a digital world now, a world where we are overloaded with content. There's almost too much of it. We watch award shows and we just see how many titles now are originally on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon and, and you know, just those other streaming services that are out there that are winning all the awards. They no longer seem to be going to those uh, titles that are just on our regular cable TV. Uh, the Oscars, of course, just happened and that was the least viewed Oscars in quite 
uh, a few years. So what exactly is happening? Well, I think that with more people having PVRs at home and more people simply cutting the cord altogether, it's just the way we are headed. And I'm joined now by a man who helped put together a survey on this very subject. It is the president of Research Co., Mario Canseco. Mario, thanks for coming on. Great to be here, Jeff. Yeah, so let's just talk a little bit about, you know, how are people watching their television now? I mean, uh, you did this survey here not too long ago, and it found that, you know, a, a lot more people are, are not tuning in to live TV. That's right. It's the first time that when we ask Canadians, and I've done this survey uh, twice before, uh, usually you have a higher uh, number of uh, Canadians who say that they watch live television or that live television is a higher percentage of their television viewing time. And this time, it's different. We have 32% of the time Canadians watch television being done through a digital recording device and only 25% of the time live. So there's a situation now where because of the way cable is being delivered to our homes and we have the chance to record anything we want and, and to watch it whenever we want, uh, it's making it very difficult for those who like to watch live television to do it. And it also has an effect on the advertisers because you have a lot of people who aren't watching live. They'll watch maybe six hours later, two days later, and are going to essentially not watch any of the ads that you have out there. So it's definitely one of the biggest challenges for the industry right now. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, as, as a member of the media myself, I you know I often uh, not worry, but uh, think about that quite a bit, is that we have to find a different way to go about selling commercials now because uh, it's just a, a change in the way that we are consuming our content. So therefore, we have to change the way we advertise as well. Um, one thing that, uh, you know, you often think about when talking about, uh, you know, how you go about watching your TV, whether it be uh, through a streaming services or through uh, an actual live cable box, I mean, one thing I, I often think about is just how old are the people that are doing this? What, what can can you tell me about the age breakdown of uh, you know people who are streaming versus people that are watching live TV? Well, this is definitely one of the biggest differences that we have right now because if you're 18 to 34, you're going to spend most of your time streaming. 35% of your time watching television is going to be done on a tablet, on a computer, on a phone. Uh, it's 24% of the time for those who are aged 35 to 24, sorry, 35 to 54, and only 11% of the time for those who are aged 55 and over. So essentially what you have here is a situation where the older generation is more likely to still be watching cable television, maybe recorded, maybe live, uh, but the younger generation is more likely to be finding some of those shows and streaming them at their convenience. So as this generation starts to age, uh, you start to wonder what is going to happen with the uh, with the usual way in, in which uh, cable television used to be delivered. If you have this generation growing up and streaming all the time, finding the content that they want at their disposal and not waiting for a show that is going to be live on Thursday at 6 p.m., it's going to be very challenging for the industry to keep pace. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a difference in, in how we are consuming uh, our content, like I said earlier. How, is there a difference, too, when, when looking at gender? I mean, obviously, there was a significant impact of age and, and how that changed um, how you were viewing your television. But, uh, you know, does gender have any impact? What is fascinating with gender is uh, there's a shift in the way we watch things. Men are more likely to be watching television live. So most of their time is going to be spent watching television live. Part of it has to do uh, with taking control of the remote, if you will, uh, but also because men tend to like sports and they want to watch that live. Women are more likely to be taping things, to be watching them later. So maybe after the kids go to bed and you have a little free time, that's when you're going to be catching up on your shows or streaming some of the things you want. So there's definitely this gender gap here, which is quite interesting because it, it certainly suggests that we're watching television individually when it comes to couples and not the way it used to be done before where the whole family would 
sit together at a specific time to watch a show. Yeah, that uh, that does make a little bit of sense to me. I'm uh, an avid sports watcher, and uh, that's really the only uh, television I watch live anymore is is my sports content. So I understand where that uh, that breakdown comes from. Uh, one other interesting thing too that you uh, looked at here was just the people that are watching uh, Canadian networks. Because if you are going to be uh, subscribing to to a cable network, then uh, you know a, a lot of the times probably your local television is potentially what you are watching. So um, you know that 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 seems to be a, an issue where uh, or, or uh, some, uh, an area that, that can probably hold on by uh, having those cable subscriptions is that local networks that still exist. So, um, you know, how, how are people consuming their local television? I mean, those that do have cable, are they more likely to watch a Canadian or a local network? It's definitely happening. You know, that is one of the uh, uh, situations in the survey that is quite positive when it comes to local news and to local television. You know, we have three out of five Canadian cable subscribers who watch Canadian networks daily or a few times a week. So you're definitely tuning into those Canadian channels more than you're tuning into the American networks or the sports channels. Obviously, that happens a lot because of specific things. You're not going to be watching sports channels 24 7. You're going to be waiting for specific sports that you like. Uh, but what's interesting is also a climb in the number of Canadians who are watching news channels. It's now at 63%. Uh, back a few years ago, it was roughly around 45-50%. So there's a couple of things here. One of them is the obsession that we had recently with the American uh, a situation after Donald Trump became elected. Uh, you have more Canadians tuning not only to watch Canadian news channels, but also American news channels. And this is sure to continue as we get ready for the election on November 5th. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely entertaining to watch what's going on south of the border. That's that's for sure. So no surprise that uh, network news networks are, are getting a boost when it comes to viewership. Uh, I'll get you out of here on this. I only have about a minute left, but I did want to look a little bit at your other survey that you did here on the, the 5th of this month, and that's talking about British Columbians expecting an early provincial election. Things might have changed a little bit following yesterday's uh, demonstrations at the legislature, but uh, as of last week, I guess, what were you looking at? I mean, how many people were expecting an early election? Well, that was quite interesting because we do see 51% of BC residents who expect to have an early election. I think there's a lot of issues at play. The Greens having to choose a new leader, the fact that maybe the new leader won't want to continue with the uh, situation that they have right now with the NDP. Uh, but what's quite striking to me is that the appetite for an early election is definitely higher in northern BC, in the Okanagan, and with BC Liberal voters. So I think BC Liberal voters are looking into this as an opportunity to get back in there, and they are definitely more likely to hope than an election happens this year than to wait until October 2021. Yeah, well, I'm sure we will find out uh, in the not-too-distant future whether or not that early election does get called. Thank you so much for doing this, Mario. Really appreciate you taking the time. Always, uh, always love talking to you. My pleasure, Jeff. That was the president of Research Co., Mario Canseco, talking about uh, yeah, just how we go about viewing our t television. We're, we're streaming more than we were in the past, and that's no surprise. And half of British Columbians are expecting an early election, but uh, we'll see if that actually does come true. Coming up, I'm going to be talking with the engineering director here in Kamloops, talking about transit, talking about multi-use trails. That's all coming up after this. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the Andreas Show here on Wednesday the 12th. Thanks so much for tuning in. Kamloops City Council approved an expansion to the city's uh, transit as well as a new extension or sorry, I said that wrong. The Kamloops City Council has approved the extension to the Peterson Creek multi-use path in Upper Sahali to connect the Hucktum Trail, which is set to be built this summer. Here to talk about this project, I am joined now by the city's engineering manager, Devin Matkowski. Devin, thanks so much for joining me here. 
Uh, good morning. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so now that I got my little tongue twister out of the way there, what can you tell me about this project here? I mean, there's a, it seems like a bit of a small expansion that uh, was approved yesterday uh, to this multi-use trail. Um, you just What can you tell me about the project itself? Maybe if you can give me a quick summary of sort of what it is we're looking at right now. Yeah, certainly. The, the project itself is mostly a bike upgrade, and it's going to be on Summit Drive from essentially the intersection of Summit and Notre Dame up past Spring Hill to the intersection of White Shield Crescent and Summit Drive. So we have bike facilities further up the hill on Summit Drive. There's dedicated bike, lane, bike lanes that essentially end at White Shield um, because of the road width. So this is filling that gap from there to where the Huckton Trail ends at, at Notre Dame and Summit. Perfect. So, uh, you know, where does this put this particular trail in terms of completion? I mean, uh, this is something that, you know, uh, is, is a pretty extensive trail network and, uh, you know, one that goes uh, or is looking to go for, for quite some time. So just where does this, uh, if this project does get complete this summer as planned, uh, you know, where would that put this particular trail in terms of completion? Mm -hmm. So... Just on when we expect to complete the trail, it's 2021 finishing construction, so we hope to start construction this year. There's still some detailed design. Uh, but this really connects all of Upper Sahali to the Huckton Trail, and then that connects Upper Sahali, those who want to cycle, um, right to downtown. So it's, it's, a, it's kind of a gap in our system now, and, and this will really fill that in. And can you talk about the, I mean, I was just having the, the mayor on here to start the show, and, and he was talking about this 15-year plan when it comes to just multi-use trails throughout the entire uh, Kamloops area. So looking at the entire trail network and, and a pretty ambitious plan, and I'm sure things will, will kind of change and alter as we go through that plan over the course of that, uh, that time frame, because 15 years is quite a significant amount of time. But, um, you know, just looking at, you know, we're looking at expanding this particular trail and, uh, you know, trying to really expand the way that people are able to go about getting around the city um, you know how, how is the city doing in terms of that plan in terms of that multi-use trail plan that alternate transportation plan I mean is there a, a is this you know getting getting a good uh, movement in terms of getting towards that end goal of, of you know having a, a real established network in Kamloops uh, I think it is we're the commitment of council last budget process was to put two and a half million a year towards active transportation. So that's cycling infrastructure, but it's also um, walking infrastructure as well. It's mostly sidewalks and, and bike trails. This particular project is is more adding capacity for biking, but that 15 years is for biking and walking. We're doing pretty good. Um, there's a bit of an update in that council report. Um, we did four projects last year that kind of finished through construction, and we have a long list of projects that we're working on. This is one of the bigger ones, but uh, we got paths on Sing Street and 7th, 5th Avenue bike lane, Brentwood Avenue, um, Chestnut. There's lots of places that we, we have projects on the go. Right on. Well, I know uh, a lot of people are looking to find alternate ways to get around the city. Maybe not so much in the wintertime, but definitely in the summer. And, and having these expanded trails is definitely going to be helpful for those who are looking to walk or bike or, or find some other way besides getting in their vehicle. And speaking of uh, finding alternate ways to get around the city, one thing that is up uh, for, for budget discussions, it was part of the supplemental items that was presented uh, a few weeks ago, was uh, looking at some expansion expansion to, be, to, to our, our transit system here. So BC Transit has offered expansion 
expansion hours and funding here for Kamloops Transit um, to achieve some transit goals and, and uh, indicator targets that are set out in the transportation master plan here. Um, so we're looking at uh, potentially the increase or expansion of an additional 4,500 hours to our transit service starting in September of this year, if this, of course, were to go ahead. It's all just proposed at this point in time. But uh, what, what can you tell me about that expansion and what that would look like if it were to be approved? Because it sounds like a pretty significant number. Mm-hmm. Um, 4,500 hours is, is definitely, it's a, it's a good number. It's not insignificant. We have over 100,000 hours of service right now that's on the road. So um, it's a single percentage increase in, in our hours. So um, the last big expansion, you know, our system went and we now service Sun Rivers and Banlands. So that was kind of a big expansion in area. This 4,500 hours won't do that. This 4,500 hours will be used more for increasing frequency of service. We have some busy routes for Pacific Way, Number 9, Glen Eagles. Um, so we need to increase frequency there to keep up with the ridership demand. Um, and then where we can, and it, it's something that we do get feedback on, is can we increase the span of service, which is essentially the hours of service. So can we increase our hours of business going a little longer in the days or starting a little earlier um, or providing a little more service on weekends? And can you tell me, tell me just what uh, what the um, overall would look like when talking about expansion? Just because I know this is talking about expanding starting in September, um, so that's not a very long portion of the year. So if this were to be extrapolated extrapolated beyond just that last four months of 2020, uh, you know, if this were to you know be approved and continue into 2021, uh, what what kind of expansion would we be looking at at that point? I mean, uh, I'm just sort of trying to, to clarify: would it be an additional 4,500 hours, or is that sort of prorated based on um, you know being the, the last third of the year? Yeah, the currency we trade on with transit is hours of service, and the 4,500 hours is is annual. So how many annual hours of service do we put on the road? So this is going from a little over 100,000 a year annual hours. If we add the 4,500, that will kind of will stay in the operating budget going forward. So we'll be at 104,500 hours every year. Okay, that makes a lot of sense, and I'm sure there are a lot of people that uh, you know are, would definitely be hoping to take advantage of that. Uh, you said you need to almost have an expansion in order to uh, keep up with the demand that is currently out there. So um, clearly, something that people are talking about and people are uh, desiring here uh, in the city. Um, and can you talk a little bit about where that money would come from? Uh, I don't know how much you can say, but I understand most of this will be coming from from BC Transit. So it's not like this is necessarily coming out of our city tax dollars. That's correct. So transit throughout the province of BC is cost shared between the local government partners and the province. So um, between the handy dart service and the conventional service, the ratios are slightly different, but it's roughly 50-50 cost share between the province and and the local government. So our share is roughly 50%, but we also get to offset our share as the local government by whatever's collected in fares. Um, so we usually recover over half of that. We get about 30% of the total cost recovery. So about um, over half of the city's half is covered by fares. So of the 4,500 hours, taxpayers are picking up less than a quarter. Yeah, that sounds uh, like something that uh, is pretty easy to to uh, withstand uh, from a taxpayer's perspective. I think, uh, you know, it's something that helps a lot of people stay employed and get around the city and get their groceries and things like that. So it's definitely an important service. I know it's, uh, um, you know, transit never really makes money wherever you offer it, but uh, it doesn't mean it's not an important service to offer to those here in the community. So uh, I think that's about all I had on that file here. Devin, anything else that you want to add while I have you on the line? 
Um, yeah, the transit expansion, I'd just like to add, it also includes a request for council to support an expansion to our custom service, the handy dart service. So that's going to go towards expanding the hours of service that people are able to, to um, access the handy dart rides. And then I wouldn't also mind putting a little plug out there for ProPass. Um, so our transit ridership actually crested 4 million rides a year this past year. So um, kind of look around at the people beside you at 4 million rides in a city of 100,000 is about 40 rides per person. So um, the system's getting used. There's a lot of people that use it. There's some people don't use it at all. There's some that use it a lot. Um, but we do have a tool. It's, it's ProPass. It's a discounted pass that employers can offer to their employees um, through payroll deduction. The employers can offset the cost if they want as a benefit to their employees. And there's lots of information on that either on the BC Transit website if you search ProPass or you can contact us at the city at transit at camloops.ca. We can give you all the information you need. Right on. Definitely a good little PSA for people out there who are listening to uh, uh, save a little bit money, a little bit of money if they are planning to take the bus. Thank you so much for doing this, Devin. I really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That was the city's engineering director, Devin Makowski, talking about transit and also about multi-use trails here in the city of Kamloops. Definitely uh, some, some good stuff that is happening when trying to get people out of their cars, onto their feet, using some pedals, whatever the case may be. Uh, but yeah, you're definitely trying to uh, take away the keys as, as much as possible. Coming up next, we're going to be taking a look at what is whack in the world. Yes, it's time for another edition of That's Whack Wednesday. So that's going to be coming up after this. Opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Wednesday. It is February the 12th, and thank you so much for tuning in. As I said, of course, it is Wednesday. It is the middle of the week. It is hump day. It's, of course, going to be the day where everything goes downhill from here, both in the week and the show itself. It is time for That's Whack Wednesday. It's That's Whack Wednesday. What is whack in the world today? Well, let's start here locally. Take-home fentanyl testing strips are now available in interior health communities, including right here in Kamloops. Now, the idea behind this is not whack at all. But the fact that these are such an important and life-saving tool now, I do think, is pretty whack. We are all aware of the opioid crisis, at least I would hope so at this point. It is definitely a topic that has lost a little bit of steam over the course of this winter. At least it feels so in my perspective when talking about things like the coronavirus and, and now we got protests that are happening at the legislature. Things like this are kind of taking away the heat from the opioid crisis, but of course it's been a topic for a long time, a number of years, and it's not going anywhere, and it's just a matter of time before it hits its way back up to the top of the news cycle. Now, Getting back to these testing strips, officials are hoping these new take-home fentanyl strips will reduce the number of opioid overdoses in the Kamloops area. The strips basically look like, uh, you know, the test strips you would use to test chemicals in your pool or your hot tub or your fish tank or, or whatever. It, it seems like a real simple and easy tool to use, which, of course, is a good thing. Plus, 
The results from these test trips have come in nearly as accurate as drug testing at on-site supervised consumption sites or community health centers, with fentanyl positively identified around 89% of the time in both instances. So, I mean, that's great. These take-home tests are almost as accurate as the ones that you take your drugs to. That seems like a real positive. But when you do the math, that means that there is an 11% chance that the tests are not being reported accurately And that is a pretty high number, 11%, one out of every 10. There's a chance that there might be some fentanyl in my drugs. I got to say, that is a little bit. Like I said, 11% is a little too high for my liking, but it is still better than blindly diving into your drug of choice. Now, it is a positive to see that more people are taking precautions on their own without having to attend a consumption site or wherever one would go to get drugs tested because I'm sure there are many who just forego that process and sort of play Russian roulette with their cocaine or heroin or whatever one is taking. And, uh, you know, just taking that sort of approach to drug use, I think that that is a little bit... And hopefully these new take-home tests will reduce the number of overdoses that we see in our community. All right, moving on. Let's go into the love train here because it is almost Valentine's Day. We're just a couple of days away. This Friday is, of course, February 14th. And if you're not ready, well, here's a chance to get prepared because you got your warning. Uh, It is here. It is now. Cupid is on his way. Don't get caught without being prepared. That goes for mostly you fellas. So... Let's just talk a little bit about love and a little bit about Valentine's Day. Falling in love with you. Yes, Friday, day of love, it's on its way. A couple of days away, as mentioned. And now, a new survey is suggesting that the longer you are with someone, the more money you are likely to spend on them. The new survey found that people who have been dating for less than six months will spend an average of $700. $700! Yeah, that's an insane number to me. $700 on someone you have known for six months or less? I mean, that cannot be a smart move. I mean, what happened to flowers and chocolate and a nice dinner out? That should cost you like 200 bucks, maybe. I don't have a Valentine for this Friday, but I can tell you right now, I would not be spending $700 on a fairly new relationship. Whatever, you know, relationship I find myself in, I'm just going to skip that first one. I'm not going to participate. If I find the right girl, I will plan to be on vacation for the first February 14th that we are together. Because I will tell you right now, I want to skip that first one and, and move into those years down the road when we spend a little bit less and just care a little bit more about being together as opposed to spending money. $700 on someone you've known for less than six months, that figure is just crazy to me. Now, of course, as I mentioned... As the years go by, we spend a little bit less on each other. So, the study goes on to say, people who've been together between six months and two years will spend $453. And couples that have been together uh, for two to five years will spend $157. And then those that have been together for 20 plus years will spend $64. An average of $64 on Valentine's Day. What? A reasonable number, $64. Do I sound cheaper? I mean, even I could afford $64. Now, to me, this sounds like, uh, you know, maybe a drive through cheeseburger and a stop at the movies. That sounds like a nice time to me, I'm going to be honest. So I'm just going to skip those first 19 years of a relationship, or at least those first 19 Valentine's Days, and just move right into that, you know, 20-year Valentine's Day relationship. That's the one I want to be a part of, $64. That just sounds totally 
up my alley. And as I say this out loud, I am pretty sure I am regretting it because this speech is not going to help me find a date for this Friday. Who wants to date this this cheap idiot? Probably no one. And that, well, I think we know what that is. All right, let's get one more wax story in here. I like these surveys, so I'm just going to continue with this theme and, and have one more ripped off here. So, of course, when talking about Valentine's Day, we're talking about the celebration of love. And what is a better symbol of one's love than a child, right? Of course, you have to name your baby if you have a child. And we have seen over recent history that people's names are getting a little bit different over time. Well, apparently, according to this new study, 7% of parents say that they give their kid a made-up name. 7 out of 100 kids has a made-up name. When you think about that, that almost seems about right, right? I mean, there's 7% of parents out there that are doing that. To them, I, I gotta say, I think that you guys are a little bit... And if it isn't bad enough that kids are being given these crazy, weird, and bizarre names like Apple or Blue Sky or East or whatever, the reasoning that some have behind it is honestly even worse. Now, the main reason is they think it'll help their kids stand out in a crowd, and I can get behind that. I've I've been in a lot of rooms with other Jets, and when someone calls out my name, there could be several of us that turn and look at once and all think they're talking to us, and then you get very disappointed when they're not, right? We've all been there. But, uh, you know, being unique is, is kind of cool. Less cool when you're a kid, I think, because you just want to fit in and be like everyone else. But, you know, when, when you're an adult, being unique, it helps you stand out, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. And, uh, you know, so for that reason... For that percentage of parents that say, I just want my kid to uh, have a unique name so that they'll be a little bit different and stand out, I guess I can get okay and, and get behind that a little bit. But, you know, it's these 2% of parents that are giving their kids uh, a made-up name, a quote-unquote made-up name that sort of boggles my mind a little bit because apparently they're doing it because they think it will help their kid get the best social media accounts. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. If you're naming a child with the hope that they'll become internet famous on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever the case may be, and you're giving them a name just so they can have a cool handle? Ugh, I'm sorry, but that, my friends, that makes you... He's a whack job, there's no question about it. And just to get you out of here, 65% of parents reportedly now think about some kind of made-up name before, uh, you know, deciding on something a little bit more standard, traditional, normal, whatever term you want to use. So, I mean, it be, people aren't weird for thinking outside the box, but you are a little bit different, I guess, when you decide to stay outside the box. So there you go. Name your kid whatever you want. It is absolutely your right, but just remember, you're not the one that has to live with that name. This has been That's Whack Wednesday. That's Whack Wednesday with Jeff Andreas. All right, well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I would like to thank all my guests for joining me, and, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know that I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.